3: Offer ends on the go live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler.
0: All
4: right, it's another film study uh, for August 29th, as we're going to look back at the August 28th preseason week three game in Washington. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Thanks, good, Josh. How about you? I cannot complain. Um, it, it's Again, defense is going to be the fun one this week, not the offense. And we get to start by welcoming Jordan in from the Situation Room. Jordan, welcome back.
2: Thanks, Josh. Thanks,
4: Ken. Appreciate you having me, guys. Always great to have you talk football. Yeah. Hey, uh, 20 wins in a row now. I guess we don't get another preseason game, so this 20 wins is going to hold on till next year? Yep. I mean, the Orioles should not lose 20 in a row. Before <laughs> well, it, came <laughs> <laughs> it came close. It came close.
5: But, uh, you know, this is another uh, little bit of preseason dominance we just were talking about it in the production meeting a little bit, but the Ravens now have not allowed a second-half defensive point in the last nine quarters. So, they have a way of frustrating the hell out of rookie quarterbacks and not unlike the regular season, have a very good record of holding on to halftime leads.
2: Yeah, they, they really just, on the back end, been really stout and the depth in the secondaries really showed up. And I, I didn't even think that from a play-calling perspective that we saw a complex look overall from, from what Wink was running out there. They were, just, they were just better on the field from a talent perspective than Washington football team at the end of that game.
5: I agree with that. They're not the package wise, I don't think they put anything special at all, but they did put out the dime for 15 snaps. So at least they said, okay, we're gonna play dime defense because that's what we want to play during the season. And they got the right people in that package for the most part. But they didn't they didn't show off the four outside linebacker package at all, the race car, and they didn't do any of their other special things. They did do a little one guy kicking inside, but it was it was very vanilla dime that they basically played in this game. So I agree. I mean, I think they've still got the defensive playbook closed, and it wouldn't surprise me if we got something completely new for the opener.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would hope so. You know, you, you would think that with all the pieces that the Ravens are bringing back and the continuity that they've got on this team, that the same players, the same parts, the same understanding of the playbook from last year, it makes it really easy to install kind of new levels, taking a look at guys like Matt Matabike, Figuring out how you want to maximize those opportunities for a guy like him that you think is up and coming and and figure out a way to get it done. And I I think we're going to see that. And, you know, I'll I'll talk about this probably a little bit later, but I think Patrick Queen could be a big part of what that looks like um, in this upcoming year, too.
5: Yeah. Well, that would be exciting. And I'm really eager to hear your thoughts. I, I want to go back to what you just said, though, with Matt BK and giving people advantages by matchup, by scheme, by really trying to scheme for your opponent is not something they do in the preseason. In fact, Mike Nolan mentioned during the broadcast that he thinks the Ravens advantage is that they're unique on both sides of the ball. And that since no one schemes against their opponent in the preseason, no game plans for their opponent, that no opponent is really ready for what the Ravens bring in terms of being different. And it's a very eloquent point, but I'm not convinced it's correct. But I think there there are components of it that are definitely correct.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, out here in Los Angeles, I had to watch uh, via Game Pass. So I had to suffer through uh, not such great coverage you know, <laughs> from the, the Washington football team uh, end of things. So I didn't get to hear his argument. But I, I agree with you. I, I, I tend to think, you know, the Ravens, if you look at what the Ravens did, like in the Carolina game, for example, mm-hmm. there was there was no complexity to what they did no, at all, ever, especially on offense, at least a little bit yeah. on defense, but on offense. Oh my gosh! It was it was like watching someone just press X on Madden over and over and over, <laughs>
5: or, or crazily push the buttons, maybe. But but they did, you're right; they just did basic plays with with. A Lamar Jackson. This offense is unique. Without Lamar Jackson, this offense is ordinary, and and it it does not pose the same threats. Even Huntley, while he's closer to Lamar than pretty much anybody else we can find, uh, you know, or that we have available to us, let's put it that way, and pretty good, he's still a shadow of Lamar in terms of you know exactly how good he is. So, I, I think it really still comes down to defensive depth and the willingness to continually rotate. And dial up some scheme as the game goes on, and we're not talking about real complex game plan for that opponent scheme. I'm just talking about okay, let's try a blitz, let's try another blitz. When if, if things get really difficult, we'll try a blitz. <laughs> so they're, they're they're willing to to send people and and drive these unfortunate second half grocery bagger quarterbacks, uh, you know, nuts with all the complexity of what they do. It's not just the quarterbacks; it's the offensive line, who in the second half obviously are not cohesive. Yeah, and,
2: and when you were running veterans out there like Chris Smith and Justin Ellis, yeah. they're going to eat those guys up, and and they did through the duration of the game. Matt Abigay was taking snaps midway through the third yeah. quarter as well. Um, so they're just, you know, from that perspective, the depth really shines through, and, and you've got these guys just kind of wholly outclassing them. And then you see, you know, it's been really nice to see some of the growth from some of these players. And we'll probably talk about them as this podcast rolls on. But, um, you know, I've been really pleased with what we've seen from OA and Hayes. They, they're farther ahead than I would have thought they might be um, as we got into this upcoming year. I think that we've seen growth from guys like Roderick Washington um, and Meta BK already on the field. And so when you have those, when you have those plus ups scheme aside, you know, Talent is talent on kind of direct matchup is the thing that's gonna override the preseason, I think, more than anything.
5: Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, so many of the weapons have already been hold back, not just in terms of scheme, but obviously in terms of players too. We haven't seen the monsters for more than a few snaps. Justin Houston, McPhee, guys like that have only played a couple snaps that are that are, you know, really established veterans in the league. Marlon Humphrey, does he did he get the field in week one? Yeah, so in week one, he did.
2: The- he, he played okay. a series or two in week one and
5: that was it. That's it. We just got Tavon Young back. We have no idea what kind of a player he is. Hopefully, he's close to as good as he was in 2018. Uh, But, you know, this is a a team, even defensively right now, we don't know that much because we haven't seen very much of the guys who are actually going to play. The guys who aren't going to play are freaking fantastic in terms of the depth they provide. But the guys who are going to play, we haven't really seen very much from them yet.
2: Yeah, it'll be you know that's that's the that's the challenge of the preseason all along and and kind of whether or not you start to see that some things kind of get revealed. I think that, you know, I know this is a defensive side, but we start. I think we saw the offense open up a little bit more yeah. finally in this last preseason game. That was nice to see. That's progress, and you know, I think that that'll play its way out as as we get into the season. I think that is like you were saying earlier, the same thing happens with the defense and whatever mm-hmm. that's wing drawing up or whether it's some of these guys, you know in their rotations or, you know, how they're isolating them. It's going to make a big difference. And I think, I think they're going to just be, they're going to be very good on defense this upcoming year. Yeah.
5: I, I, I really, after the way they played the second half of camp and, you know, they have a couple more weeks, you know, this is just end of reporter camp now, basically. But, but the way they played the last few days of camp it was so brother-in-wash. Uh, you know, first of all, I, I know they wanted to get on the field and beat the crap out of the Washington Redskins, so they got that out of their system, maybe. But they're going to go through now a couple more weeks of just you a know, little pity-pad play along the offensive and defensive line, presumably, and they're going to have to get ready for that Washington for the uh, Oakland-Las Vegas game, somehow, and be ready to, to, to really pound them. But I think the Ravens defensively will really want to be out there hitting people right away. Probably the Raiders, too, but definitely the Ravens
2: yeah for sure
5: all right uh let's do what we do typically and go through position but group by position group and talk a little bit about these guys and josh don't feel uh you know shy about cutting in with questions if they apply to our position group as we go i think that's probably the best way to okay i'll keep deal. an eye on it on the uh, mailbag all right we'll we'll, uh, we'll start with the defensive line and and the monstars are in there for a series anything about them Yeah, they didn't look
2: that great. (laughs) I mean, they 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 were in there for three plays, right? Um, I think there was one rushing play where um, they didn't really kind of get any push and they weren't able to kind of close down the middle of the the offensive line. But other than that, I think it was pretty vanilla in terms of you get three snaps. There wasn't really all that much going on. So it was was hard to say that you could take anything away from that.
5: Yeah, I I agree. So Peter's... Ended up giving a first down up on the very first play. And then there were three more after that. And I think that was that was it for the um, the guys who were out there for the starting defense. And I, I want to look at my sheet here because there were there were some more guys who played a little more defense than that. Now, what's handy dandy sheet? Peters was gone immediately, but Averett was out there to start the game instead of Humphrey, and he played on a little bit. Uh, Clark and Clark and um, Joker played two series. And the Queen and, and Harrison played, you know, almost the first half. And then they started, they, they got rid of Houston after one series. He was a big one. And then all three of the big defensive linemen, Wolf didn't play. And, and Matt Abike and uh, sorry, Matt Abike played a long time, Campbell and, and um, Williams came out immediately after those, after those four plays, so. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. We didn't see much of him. That's for sure. T- take me through to a defensive lineman that you, you know, either were impressed by or you want to talk about for whatever reason. Yeah, I think Broderick Washington's the guy
2: that probably should bring the most assurance to the hearts of Ravens fans when it comes to this defensive line. Um, the improvement, you know, we didn't see a lot of him on the field last year, so it's hard to say kind of comparatively what that looks like. But he's just been very stout you know in not in the you know we haven't been seeing a lot of splash plays but he's not getting caught out of position he's not getting pulled back he's he's where he needs to be he's been around the ball a lot which i think has been yeah. a positive and so for you know when you got the three you got wolf and campbell and williams up top with mattabike being able to rotate in there um you know having washington that to be able to know that you can hand you know 10 to 20 snaps if if absolutely needed because of injury reasons or for whatever comes up that makes me that makes me feel a lot more confident in kind of what we expect from the defensive line on the, the balance of the year and so it's just been really nice to see him regularly contribute week in and week out in the preseason.
5: Yeah, the Ravens don't use that many defensive linemen per game. They have Far too frequently for my taste, because I'm I'm not one to take risk in the area of defensive line, they've had four defensive linemen active for a game. And they don't use a lot per play, so they use under two defensive linemen per play typically. It got as low as, I think it was 1.76 in 2019, when they were playing a bunch of uh, one and even zero defensive linemen plays. But generally speaking... You know, they're going to use about two, two defensive linemen in place, which is what you use in the nickel, the most common defensive package. If you do that, Broderick Washington being the number three three-tech on this team, and Campbell's number one, Matabike is number two, and those are two very good players, Broderick Washington doesn't get a lot of snaps unless he proves versatile enough to play other places on the line, specifically nose tackles.
2: Yeah, exactly, and it's it'll be interesting to see where they go in terms of actives out of that group of six. You know, assuming that either Ellis makes the fifty-three man initially or is brought or let go and brought back. Um, you know, I, I think that there are definitely. It'll be interesting to see if they just roll with those top four guys. Um, and that's a lot of talent that you're rolling out between those guys and any staff that you know that you're getting from your defensive line and those games are great. But knowing that you've got broader Washington as insurance for one of those guys being hurt or banged up a little bit to go with Ellis, um, that's that's just really solid depth for a team that, you know, for a, a position where you're going to get banged up at some point during the year. It's, it's, it's going to happen and, and we don't know who it's going to be, but, you know, that's that's football as we so unfortunately learned uh, yesterday. Um, it's nice
4: to know that those guys are there. Hey, Ken, you're muted.
5: Uh, this happens all the time, folks. Our technical knowledge, actually, specifically my technical knowledge limited here. Um, uh, it, it, it happens definitely on the defensive line. that It almost has to be managed like a like a pitching rotation or a bullpen maybe or pitching staff where you have those expected injuries that come every year. It's a long season. Very few defensive linemen play 16 games. It's just not common at all. And, you know, you have to have good backups that go all the way down. I thought one guy who played very well in this game was Justin Ellis. And, and you know, if you thought Justin Ellis was on the bubble – He really gave you something else to think about last night because he had a big game, a lot of great run, run stuffing moves, beating double teams, getting off blocks. Uh, He diagnosed a screen pass early in the game for Barber on the right side of the field and blew it up, took him down for a loss of two. Uh, Actually, I'm sorry. It, it was thrown away. That was the ball that almost got intercepted by Hayes, fell right in front of him. So, And then he also blocked the field goal, it. I mean, it's a, a hell of a football game he had. Um, he, I don't see how they leave him off the week one roster, but I'm in agreement that he's one of those very handy-dandy veterans they can try and let go and resign. And And if, if I
2: recall, the Ravens, he was an on the street free agent in the middle of the twenty nineteen season, right? Yeah. And that's when that's the Ravens right. signed him. So, you know, my inclination is that the, the demand for him is probably not outrageously high maybe maybe a team has a nose tackle injury that happened today that i haven't heard about yet that really needs a nose tackle and that makes the ravens think twice about leaving him out there because maybe some team is willing to pay a little bit of extra to bring him in um but ultimately you know we've seen what happens to this run defense but brandon williams isn't there to play nose tackle i don't see another guy on this roster that can fill that that role even if even if it's not as effective as what 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 williams does um, if Ellis does it, no one else can even fill that, that role. Um, and so in, in that sense, is they've got to be able to bring it back.
5: So, I'm I, well, I think you're correct on that. And I would rather have Ellis for 15, 20 snaps a game for the whole year, plug and play as you need him. Maybe he gets up to 35 in your worst situation. I think there are other guys in the street. And they kind of proved that in 2019. And, and since 2019, they, they got the model back up. When they did, and he was he was very good for the Ravens in a limited sense. They got Ellis, who was good, but he didn't really play very much in 2019. Uh, did play more in 2020. They really leaned heavily on him, and 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 that was where he didn't play as well. Um, and then the other guy that that they have is Aaron Crawford, who's been hurt. We hope makes it to the practice squad. I think because of his injury situation, he's going to make it there and be there for some period of time. So at least if. Ellis were lost and you took the chance with him. You make a handshake deal and he reneges on it, or he, you know, somebody else offers him a deal that's too good and, and, uh, and he takes it. I think they have options that are, you know, 80% as good.
2: Yeah. I, I think that there are, there's certainly some other depth that's, that's down there as well. It's just, I, I'd prefer it to be Ellis at this point, especially given what we've seen, you know, through this preseason.
5: Uh, anybody else you want to talk about on the defensive line? Obviously, Swan, kind of a quiet game, but, but he was there. And, and, you know, all of those defensive linemen deserve credit, as far as I'm concerned, for the, another very stout run defense effort. You know, I,
2: the the one thing that I had in my notes here was Matabike is just really fast. Like, mm-hmm. in so, and there are plays where he turns up where you don't expect him to. And so there was, I forget which snap it was now, but there was a play, it was a short pass to the right. And he releases off of, Whoever was blocking him and turns around, and the guy, the running back, I think drops the pass. It was Patterson. He, dropped, I, he must have dropped few passes in this game. Yeah, um, it was a bad game. <laughs> and um, but Madubike turns around and is right there behind him and picks up the ball. And I was I was kind of stunned by that by it for for really two reasons. One is fantastic awareness on his part for mm-hmm. you know being you know a rusher or even a guy that's just reaching up to knock down the ball because you know you think you are going to be able to tip that. That's great. But then to turn around and kind of basically be able to get wheeled all the way around if. If He had caught that ball, I think Matabike would have had a shot at making that tackle. That's just an incredible athletic and aware yeah. play. Um, and it's really, you know, it's really nice to see that from you know a defensive lineman.
5: Yeah, I mean, he's he's 50 pounds lighter, but he has some of the athleticism that we're used to seeing in, in loading Nada. That that you know, Nada obviously terrific athlete for side, just out uh, otherworldly, uh, you know. He, The advantage that Matt brings to you on the defensive line is he's an undersized three-technique only. So that's the only position he can play. But when he's out there, he can do all sorts of things for you that other linemen can't do. He can be the under guy on stunts, but more impressively, he can be the over guy on stunts. He can be the looper. Uh, I think he's got 483 was his 40 times. That's outrageously fast for a defensive lineman. Uh, You don't get it in anybody who's not undersized, I wouldn't think. But uh, the two players that kind of get me on the opposite end of the spectrum for it, for it. because they don't have that much of a difference in speed. But you get mad at BK, who's just lightning quick, first step. You know, everything about him is fast. His hands are fast, not just his feet. And then you look at Ben Cleveland, who has really good 40 time. But he is, is lumbering in a way that I did not expect. That's been something that's been actually bothering me about in this camp is he's a much better athlete than Bradley Bozeman. And yet he's faster in every split you can imagine. And yet it doesn't really show on the field the way I expect it to. Good player, I think, but, but still doesn't show that that quickness that I really hope to see.
2: Yeah, I wonder if some of that will start to translate Post injury as well, and they're just kind of a lot of thinking and catching up with everything mm-hmm. that's going on in the field. Maybe maybe cut him some slack there, but you know, sure. definitely, it, I, I like this Ravens approach of of kind of trying to take some of these more athletic guys overall. Like Devin Duvernay, I think kind of fell into that bucket. Um, he's another guy whose speed doesn't seem to show up on on game mm-hmm. film in the same way that that it, it was measured. But I like this idea that the Ravens are bringing in some of these athletes so to speak and trying to convert them a little bit i I feel like historically that's not always been a thing that
5: they they've put as much of a priority it seems like they have the last few years yeah, they, they have, and I don't think it's really paid off in recent years, honestly, because Justice Hill was would be in that group, and so would Miles Boykin. I mean, if you want to talk about recent disappointing draft picks, that's a good trifecta to start with, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but Rashad, Rashad Perriman was in the same kind of a, a, a speed guy, but they, they knew of some of the injury history at the time. And they've been really rewarded on the tape guys. You know, Gino Stone, a guy who... who probably is better on tape than measurables. Darius Washington, we'll see, but he's still around. And uh, the big one, of course, Orlando Brown. Yeah,
2: and and even, you know, maybe even Dalen Hayes as an example of a guy Mm -hmm. that, you know, he's... I'm jumping ahead of ourselves here, you know, but he's just a guy that's been really impressive from um, both a tape and just an awareness perspective. He seems to know what is going on around him in the play and what his role and responsibility is and, yeah. and processes it really quickly. Um, you know, Tyus Bowser is a guy that didn't, you know, obviously more athletic than Hayes. I think it took him a year or two before he really, really got like, when he was in his zone, he was kind of, he would stay in his in the middle of that zone, and, and he would just kind of stay there, even if there wasn't anything going on in that in that area, because he wasn't quite he, he either didn't trust himself or he didn't he didn't know better. Um, Hayes has just been really impressive to me uh, in that kind of tape perspective too.
5: Yeah, I, I agree completely on Hayes, and and I, we saw two plays that I really loved from him, but both of the plays where he was behind the. Tip or behind the the you know loose football in the air, he was bracketing that receiver in a way that would you know could have resulted in an interception. But he was certainly in a position to make the tackle also, in in both conditions. That's great outside linebacker coverage. If you can do that with running backs on screens, if you, it will, I think it will translate to other coverage responsibilities. That he has to understanding what's going on behind him as well. He, to me, he's, he's the obvious guy to put opposite Bowser when the Ravens want to reel out, roll out every, every outside linebacker they have and stick him on the field. He's the guy you want on the opposite side. And it doesn't mean he absolutely has to be on the line of scrimmage. It means that he has to be on the field with Bowser to give you two different coverage assets you can move around. It could be Bowser is standing in the middle looking for a lane. It could be that for Hayes. Because, you know, people like Houston really want to rush from the outside, so I understand that. But, it, but Hayes has a tremendous versatility value. He's going to bring the Ravens on passing downs, and I absolutely love it. Also, great pass rush move in this game, that dip move.
2: Yeah, if Owe needs to watch the tape on that and learn that move, because if Owe yeah. can, can can learn to bend like that, he's going to be absolutely unstoppable. Um, but yeah, that move was and we've seen it a couple times from Hayes this preseason yeah. now. That was not the first time he broke that out. So the consistency of that um, as well has been really impressive from
5: him. All right, so you brought up, pace. Hey, so let's stick with the outside linebackers. We'll keep going on that. Uh, Jalen Ferguson, I think he, he did not have a, a loud game like he's had. He's been very loud the first two, two games in terms of uh, tons of pressure, uh, You know, lots of good, good plays on the run game. I thought he, he pursued and contained very well in this game, really did a good job in space. And there were times where somebody else teed him up to make a tackle, but he pursued extremely well, uh, particularly on – as I'm thinking about it, the right side of the defense, the offensive left side, uh, moving to that side. Uh, Nigel Warrior, I think, set him up once with a missed tackle. There's miss tackles and there's miss tackles. If you miss a tackle when, some, when another friend is near, it's usually not that bad. Um, if, if you uh, miss a tackle in the backfield, it's typically not that bad. If you miss a tackle 30 yards down the field, that could be very dangerous.
2: Yeah, I, I thought... Um You know, from an awareness and cleanup and edge perspective, he played really well. The other thing that jumped out to Ferguson to me, you know, especially in the preseason, and I was watching this more because of O.A. than anything else, but trying to kind of pause the film maybe half a second after the snap and see who is getting off the ball quickly. In particular, I was looking to see how quickly O.A. is getting off the ball Mm -hmm. because given his, you know, all that we hear about his athleticism, you want to see him really putting pressure on that tackle by getting into that neutral zone and getting up yeah. by him and forcing him to make a defensive move. The guy that jumped off the film to me as getting good jumps was Ferguson and not no mm-hmm. way. Um, and so we've heard a little bit about how Ferguson's lost a little bit of weight, how he's been working on some of that quickness and some of that explosiveness. And so I think some of it was just game plan and lack of, I mean, the Washington football team, Seem seemed to have no snaps <laughs> on balance in, yeah. in this game. I think they, you know, they probably ran. 30-60. Yeah. You know, they must've run it 20, 25 times. So there were only, you know, 20 ish pass attempts that happen to begin with. So I think it makes it really hard to evaluate from that perspective. But for me to see Ferguson be able to get off the spot like that was really nice to see um, and, and potentially could bode well for better pass rush in the future from him this year.
5: Yeah, hard, hard to believe they actually threw the ball 32 times, completing 15 in this game. The ball was out very quickly. They threw the ball a lot to the edges. They threw it a lot short, and that's why we didn't have a chance. I think to see a lot of pass rush development. We had very few pressures by the Ravens in this game. Uh, it was a it was a, a little bit of an odd game from that, or or maybe it was them saying, "Hey, let's not get a quarterback killed here, or anybody for that matter. Let's get the ball out quickly against this team, and we'll at least do that much game planning for a preseason game."
4: Yeah, All right. If, if Jordan's going to mention Owe this many times, we got to dig in <laughs> and talk about him because he is part of the discussion in the mailbag about how does he fit into this Raven scheme? And uh, are you seeing improvements from him as camp goes on?
5: Okay. I, I guess I'll start. And then, and then Jordan, you have, I know you have good thoughts on, on Owe. Um, I, he has made slow and I think somewhat steady progress. I, I haven't seen any kind of pass rush plan developing, where he counters one, goes you know goes to one, then two. We haven't seen a, like a devastating spin move develop. We haven't seen even a inside counter from an outside, you know, shoulder punch kind of thing. We haven't seen, you know, any any combination, a cross chop, any, anything like that develop. Um, but I think, you know, to, to your point earlier, Owe needs to make, initiate first contact. And it's almost like he's grown up preferring to wait at Penn State because of perhaps run defense responsibilities. But just, you know, first contact the NFL with any anybody else he faces is going to be with a lesser athlete. That lesser athlete, as you mentioned earlier, is going to overreact to that first move. And he can use that with the second move, which is going to be unstoppable.
2: Yeah. And we, I I don't even know that I would call, I I thought he played particularly well in the first preseason game. And and I've been less impressed within the latter two. I don't think he's played poorly. I just, I don't know that I would call that progress per se, um, but for the, exactly the reasons that you're talking about, um, he brings a lot of other things, though, that I think surprised me as well. There was a play where he was on bracket coverage where he forced the throw to basically go out of bounds because he had the angle and his size and his ability to play under in those situations is going to be an asset in that regard. And he showed up on special teams again. And And now I'm wondering... With Hayes playing as well as he is, and depending on what machinations end up going into what's happening on the 53-man, O.A.'s spot may also include him playing some special teams um, in a way that I didn't think that they were necessarily going to do after kind of watching preseason week one.
5: Yes, it would not surprise me. Um, You know, one of the things we saw in camp was uh, some attention being paid to O.A. on special teams. Was that you know he's he's out there he's playing special teams and and uh, you know sometimes you think boy they're really coaching up that guy on this they're taking extra time to do that well I mean a lot of times and it, this makes sense I don't think I'm giving anything away to say this that it's it's a standard thing you want to do with any rookie even if they're, if if they're going to be anybody but a quarterback or a, an every down starter somewhere else on your defense like maybe a corner or something. You know, you want to get them playing special teams in their in their rookie year, and and see what they can add there as well. Otherwise, you, you kind of stump them in a way if they have to learn a year two, and they don't end up being the prospect you
4: hoped.
2: Yeah, it, it's. You know, the outside linebacker rotation that we're going to see, and you and I talked about this when we talked about the 53 man of somebody being, you know, getting a week of rest and being able to, they're not going to keep all six active every week. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to be possible. Um, it's going to be really interesting to watch. And, and it's going to be interesting to see kind of how those parts play out. I think it's a little less confusing now because um, it looks like Justice Hill will at least have a shot at making the roster. Kind of given mm-hmm. what happened. So I think there would be less demands um, of someone like OA potentially on special teams that Hill could take that role back if the Ravens wanted him to be in that role. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, 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 I think it's going to be really interesting because, you know, we heard Ngakaway say this when he went to Oakland, which was, and, and I didn't give it a lot of thought when he first said it, but now seeing this rotation of guys, he said, my problem was that I didn't have enough pass rush snaps. I basically, you know, when he was in Jacksonville, he said, I could, I was setting myself up all game. It was a process. It was a progress. I was working towards trying to execute a specific move. And by having my snaps limited, I wasn't able to do that. Take that for what you will, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you know, a scorned man is going to say whatever he wants to say, but, but that being said, you know, it is interesting to think about whether or not a guy like Owe is going to like just situationally, whether or not he's just not going to bring you a lot of value this year. If you're only going to play him in six or seven meaningful pass rush snaps and he doesn't have that sequence of moves ready to go, I think there's going to be, you know, pressure early on to, to see him execute on some of those. And if he doesn't, he's just going to lose those snaps and, and may not get them back.
5: Yeah, that's, I guess that's possible. I mean, he'll have some early down pass rush opportunities. Or sorry. Um, uh, rush opportunities. One might think if they're trying to find out what he can do on, uh, you know, as a as a run defender. But the thing you mentioned earlier is his best route onto the field on obvious passing downs. Which, by the way, is a lot of downs against the Baltimore Ravens. It's all the all the all the snaps at the end of the first half. It's all third, you know, third down snaps. It's a lot of second and tens, and it's all the all the snaps where the game's out of reach, which is the second half in a lot of games. So not to be too much of a homer and whatnot, but, you know, it's a lot of snaps, and that's how they got to 42% dime snaps in 2019. How, How he can be on the field for a lot of those is if he develops his coverage ability. So if he if he can do that, and you mentioned a good play where he's had situational awareness, sorry, spatial awareness to where that that player was behind him, that's invaluable. So you know him and Hayes and Bowser, if they have it, they're going to be on the field for a Week, and he'll sacrifice a true quote unquote pass rusher to get three guys who can cover because that that's a lot more flexibility. And frankly, that coverage flexibility translates directly to free runners and pass rush flexibility.
2: Yeah. And, and your point about big leads and particularly the front end of the schedule, um, kind of setting aside the Kansas city chiefs game is, is relatively soft. I think we're going to see a lot of big leads early. We've got, you know, Miami, Denver, um, the Raiders I'm trying to remember who else kind of some of those other early games yeah the Lions it it felt like early on there may be some opportunities for him to be soaking up some snaps later in games then Um, so he'll get a chance to prove himself kind of what he's able to bring and see where that usage is going to come along because there's no need to you know let McPhee or let Houston kind of be at risk of not being there when we get to the end of the season
5: yeah yeah, I, 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 uh, McPhee, I feel like he could get up two years from now and still defend the run the way he has. I, I might be worried about his first step. I'd want to see that again, but he's just, he was such a dominant run player last year, particularly in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I, I just feel like he could do that again. Uh, we have seen nothing of him this year. He's completely been. Under wraps, even at camp. I mean, he's he's doing very little because it's, it's so much brother-in-law play. Uh, I, I I even wonder who he is anymore. I mean, you know, it's 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 been it seems like it's been longer for him to be on the field than it has been for anybody else at this point.
2: Yeah, that's true. We we've not really seen or heard anything from him up to this point. So so that will be interesting. But I also. Um, I'm not that concerned about him. I think, I think, like you said, we, he was so good at, in the playoffs, but you know, he's right around that age where also when it's gone, it's gone. Um, And so I think that'll be definitely something that that the Ravens will need to keep an eye on.
5: Well, they, they they will, if, if they carry six outside linebackers, they'll be able to make that choice if they need to. They, you know, they had, they cut Tim Williams in the middle of the season in what seemed like a fairly rash move. Uh, You know, I think we've people would agree. Since then, it wasn't that bad a move at all, given how the Ravens' outside linebackers have gone, and you know where Tim Williams has gone since then. But uh yeah, it's I, I, it, the, the, with the depth they have, they certainly would have the ability to do that. And you know, Chris Smith is a seventh right now on this team. I mean, he's playing very well this preseason. Uh, another guy who really impressed me in this game again, uh but he's impressed me the whole the whole preseason, frankly, with what he's done. Now, versus the run, versus the pass, he's. You know, he's, he's been in there mostly as a situational pass rusher been effective, but he's played both inside and outside. So I like that as well.
2: Yeah. I've been really impressed with him and uh, it's, there's, there's just not a spot for him right now, which is too bad, but um, you know, maybe he gets the practice squad. Maybe he doesn't sign anywhere for a few weeks. And if the Ravens need him, they're able to to call him. But I'd imagine, I imagine he's going to be playing on an NFL roster and and taking meaningful snaps for somebody when, when the season starts.
5: Yeah, I'd be shocked if he wasn't. I mean, a lot of teams want five outside linebackers. Uh, some only want four, and maybe those teams are already full up. But a lot of the teams that want four, they mess it up because they draft as if they're trying to get four, and then they fall short. It's it's a it's, it's always you're working towards a towards a deadline and using the deadline as your guide for how high you really want to work, kind of thing, and uh, and then you fall short. But we did have a question in the mailbag, Josh. I think about about Chris Smith, and it had to do with. Um, uh, Let me see if I can remember it. Yes. If the Ravens traded Ferguson, would you be comfortable with Chris Smith as the sixth outside linebacker? Or would you fear a significant drop off? And then also, what else do you lose? I believe was was, was part of that question. Anyway, I'll, I'll embellish the question like that.
2: Yeah, You know, I'm... I wouldn't I would have very little I'd have low end interest in that I I would rather cut Chris Smith and let the team that traded for Ferguson sign him and take the upside of Ferguson really like the light switch going off and him being able Mm -hmm. to take it to the next step I mean you you don't get all those sacks even if it's against inferior um, competition in college without having some idea of how to rush the passer and and some skill in that regard and so if his athleticism has gone up a notch um, and that was what he needed then it would be a huge loss we've seen there's too much PTSD for me from Zadarius Smith leaving and and us okay. like letting a, a guy go that we shouldn't have let go that also took time to evolve I think I think through his first three years I was not terribly impressed with him um and then by the time he got to the end of his contract here he was he was all you could tell he was on the upswing um and mm-hmm. I think the Ravens should have invested in that and and uh, clearly were missed the boat on On that one. So I I think that upside is not worth the value what Chris Smith brings in the future. I think from a game day perspective, they would be maybe just fine or even a little better off with Chris Smith because he has the ability to kind of move into that jihad ward, like play Mm -hmm. on the defensive line, be that third guy from time to time um, in a way that Ferguson can't.
5: Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I agree on Ferguson being able to be the guy in the defensive line. They used him there last year. I'm not saying he was tremendously productive, but he's a more productive pass rusher in general right now. And I'm not sure he couldn't give you something there. Good length to play on the inside for Ferguson. So he's a guy who might be a, become a good under player. As well on some stunts. So I, I don't think he really has the quickness to be the guy you want on the overs regularly, but I think he could be a good guy on the unders. And that also takes a big first step. It doesn't just take the um, uh, the length, but the length certainly helps.
2: Yeah, for sure. But the upside, I think we were kind of in agreement. You, 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 if you're going to draft a guy like Jalen Ferguson, you need to ride it all the way out. Yeah, no,
5: I, I would too. I think I think you let him become Paul Kruger and and if that's the way it ends up we lose him and, and you know there's not gonna be money, at least I don't think there's gonna be money, to sign another outside linebacker down the roster. And unfortunately that was really the situation with Sedarius too. They just they, they didn't consider themselves as really having the money. If they knew how good he'd be, they would have paid it. But you know, th- there's always the injury risk and the other things. They didn't really want it at that, you know, at that time in terms of a big contract. Uh, let's see. Any other outside linebackers we've talked about? Talk about? Hayes, Ferguson, McPhee. We touched on. Uh, I, Houston just was in there for a couple snaps. Obviously, there's nothing really to talk about there. Really like what I've seen from him in camp, in terms and, and, and all the videos we've seen of him helping these young outside linebackers. Yeah, in uh, in the one series that he was in, on he
2: juked the tackle literally out of his shoes. I I don't know if you you caught that one. The tackle just fell over, and and Houston ran by <laughs> him because it was it looked like a crossover in a basketball game. And Houston would you know fake to the outside and went inside and just ran right by him. It was euro step. Yeah. euro step. Yeah. So and
5: that, and that was a ball out quick on the right side. Was it from so. Allen? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah.
2: There was, there was no kind of pass rush like statistic to kind of be measured there, but I, it just amused me to see the tackle fall over.
5: Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad look. I'm <laughs> sure it didn't help him. You know, I will say the, the, the Washington football team had some fine pass rushers in the game in that second half, both 57 and 58. Uh, you know, look like actual players to me that you, I, that they had a lot of pass rush notes against Schofield and against Ely at the end of that game um, that, that I was very impressed by, but, uh, but I wonder if they're, if they're either of them, ends up a street guy uh, right. at the end of this period, but it seems like there might be other players on the street. These guys are really both defensive end types, but they're a lot of quickness there. All right. We're ready to move on to what do you say? Inside linebacker? Yeah, this one should be pretty quick. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Sure. I've got one guy I want to talk about. Who would you like to talk about first though?
2: Yeah, well, you know, Patrick, I I mentioned this earlier. I think that there's an opportunity for the Ravens and for Wink to, to really dial up Patrick Queen's usage blitzing on third downs. We saw it in the first series where he absolutely blew that play up, and there was a dedicated blocker that he just squeezed right by. Uh, And ended up blocking nobody. And he was in the quarterback's face immediately. I I think that I think it's an area where if Queen is not going to be and and he should get the opportunity to be. But if he's not going to be great in terms of pass defense, I think they really need to dial up his usage in terms of blitzing the quarterback because he's he's really good at it.
5: Yeah, I mean, I agree, and it was the running back Barber he got by, number 25, who he he just whipped by. It's a great move, and you want to see your inside linebackers be able to beat a running back. That's the advantage you have over a corner or a safety blitzing is those guys are a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and that's why they have these Oklahoma drills, if you want to call them that, that that are a single pass rush rep with a a linebacker trying to beat a, a running back. But I, I, to me, if I'm Wink, here's here's what I think with regard to Queen being on the field on third down. OK, he might be a good pass rush asset, but he can only go from inside linebacker. I want my inside linebacker to be a guy who can cover or or rush the passer. And if, he, if, if they know he's coming, then they account for him. Because, and, and by the way, if you do that, if you just account a blocker to him and it's not that hard, it can be a running back. Although we saw running back didn't work in this game, um, then you really have something you can look for in terms of how you want to run your play against that single player. So I, I just I'm I, as a coverage guy, I mean, uh, I'm I'm more concerned about that, and I wonder if if Queen is going to be on the field on on all the third downs, given the way. That wink has shown a willingness to go to zero inside linebackers. A fair amount he did that last year. Queen only played about eighty percent of the snaps, which is low for a for a three down linebacker. But that's because he really wasn't last year. So this year, I think he's got to take a step forward in order to, in order to be a obvious asset on passing counts.
2: Yeah, for, I mean, I agree with all of that, and I don't think it's a you know an exclusivity as a pass rusher with Queen, but it's just something that he. He splashes when he does it so often um, right. that, that I, I think that there has to be a way to find an ability to use it more. Well,
5: you know, one of the things that's been criticized tremendously is the Ravens' ability to get pass rush on first and second downs. I guess the question I'd ask is, how about doing it then? How about they set up Queen as a pass rusher on those first two downs? You know, he's got downhill coverage responsibilities uh, on those downs most of the time. He's, any other coverage responsibilities he hasn't proven to be particularly good at. Uh, but if, if you want to rush the quarterback on first or second down, I mean, he's an enormous asset for that.
2: I'd love to see it. I, I just you know, it's, it's just something that that it always jumps out on tape when he does it to me. And yeah. I'd love to, to see the way for them to find it that more. And I, I love that idea where it's early downs or even situationally, you know, second and longs. You know, you can use him like that um, really effectively.
5: All right, uh, I wanted to talk about Malik Harrison in this game because I thought he had a marvelous game. A uh, lot of pursuit, but more importantly, he was bullying offensive linemen. I mean really bullying. And he pushed one back uh, really badly. It was a zone-blocking play. He pushed him once and he pushed him again. And, and then he and then the second push actually knocked the ball carrier down so he didn't even have to, t- to wrap up to make a tackle or anything. He just, you know... Push the, push the offensive line. That is a Superman move from an inside linebacker. It's, 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 you, know, you hope they can shed blocks, learn to do that effectively, keep the offensive lineman from getting his hands to the body, you know those kind of things. But, you know, it, 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 oh, you're on me? Get off me. You know, it was what that looked like.
2: His his ability to engage when he wants to engage with an offensive lineman or running back that wants to block him, and he and he is kind of got that wide base, and he is lower than that player. They're taking a hit from him every single time. It's really impressive, and he uses his length, his arm length, really well. I think on a, a couple of the other zone runs where he wasn't pushing the guy back in the same way, he was still able to use his arms to keep that offensive lineman at bay. Um, really kind of keep well balanced and then still be part of the play. Um, I just, he's been really, really impressive. Um, And the Ravens have got to be thrilled about kind of what he's going to bring to that inside linebacker position for them.
5: Now, this is one another other interesting point for, that's, that a lot of people have made, is could Harrison play outside linebacker for the Ravens? Now, the Ravens are so stocked at outside linebacker, why would you even be bothering with that question now with the shortage of inside linebackers they have? And, you know, Harrison seems to have a fairly secure spot there, at least for some play. But, he, but he's not a three-down guy. The Ravens play dime; They would typically take him off the field on third down. And, and the idea was maybe you get him an outside linebacker. Well, he actually had a snap at outside linebacker in this game. O.A. actually dropped into a – wasn't a three-point stance because it was really a four-point stance as a five-tech. And Harrison was to the outside of him. And normally I'd think, okay, well, that might mean he's dropping a coverage and we're not going to see him on that side. Or maybe he's just going to uh, you know, have a – see if his downhill responsibility is on that side and then he's going to drop into a short zone or something. He didn't. He engaged the left tackle, bowled him backwards – and made a tackle on a run play for minus two. It was it was just an astounding thing. If you want to look at that play, it's Q one one hundred three. Guys, go back, take a look. It's, I know you've only got it on your DVR at this point, but it's a it's a great place to see it and a and a very cool play for for uh, Harrison. I'll see if I can I can pull
2: that clip on video, Ken, and get it up on Twitter. But um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think this was the first time they had that specific formation on defense either. I think in the first preseason game there was a snap where O.A. played inside of Harrison, who was the farthest outside linebacker as well. So yeah. um,
5: okay, that 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 happens, and we've seen that where he's been on the line of scrimmage, and there's and been, been another guy back. inside it. But no, but no, 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 that's not what I mean. It's it's a, um, a the the inside the guy playing inside him. Who would normally have been outside linebacker has to be in a three point stance to really change his position. because so, that changes his responsibilities. Obviously, being on the edge there, right? Gotcha. It's, I'm not saying it hasn't happened before because I easily could have missed it, but I'm just saying that's it's it's a, we've seen him a lot on the edge of the line of scrimmage. You know, other inside linebackers, Jamie Sharper, Ray Lewis, they all went to the line of scrimmage and showed blitz and whatnot, even on the edge. Uh, but but it's it's this is this was really. Weird to see it happen and uh I think it's worth looking at. Your turn, another inside linebacker.
2: Well, I think the you know the real question then is whether Welsh is making this 53-man roster out of the gate or not. Um mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's we we've already kind of talked about this. I don't think he's going to. I still don't think he's going to. I think, and we'll get to this as we talk about the the other positions here. Um, I, I think that he didn't lose his spot, but I think someone else earned his spot on that initial 53. Um, and I expect him to to be exposed to waivers, just because inside linebacker play at kind of that mid level is so devalued now that I think yeah. that, that there's a pretty good chance he's getting through waivers. Um, you know, if the Ravens are willing to take that chance.
5: Yeah, I think you have a big pool of players out there. First of all, from a size and shape perspective, if you want to if you want to be missing something, be missing a running back or an inside linebacker because they're the most average you know people out there, or maybe a safety in terms of things you can find on the street. Um, but it, I, I would agree with you that they probably get back 80% of the player, a little bit less maybe in terms of understanding the, the special teams playbook, and I'm not really concerned about that. And I, I don't know if we had this the same when we did the roster show, but I think I'm now wholly in your camp that Welch probably does not make the roster out of the gate, and they, and they try and create another spot. A lot of it's dependent on how many total IRs, they want to have at the beginning of the year. So if an extra player is on IR, maybe somebody gets hurt between now and the beginning of the season. um, And they have somebody like um, Tavon, Jimmy Smith. We think that, you know, two receivers could be on there. They could have four guys. They could even have five guys to start the year that would be on IR. If they have that, they've got to have people they can bring back. And those can include people like Levine, people like Welch, uh, you know, other veterans they can bring back in one day, certainly, but, but other guys that they want to bring back maybe maybe even in two weeks. Yeah. Welsh just strikes
2: me as the very last guy out. So, so if he does mm-hmm. end up making the initial 53, that, you know, I, I'll have no problems with that. Mm-hmm. It just seems to me that if, if there's an upside project that you're looking to try and protect here, um, you know, he, he just seems like the perfect candidate to let let that spot be filled there.
5: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I don't think you're looking at a lot of upside in Welch, um, even though, you know, he's cheap for several years and he, you know, it could be a core special teamer. I think you, you gotta see more upside in a player like Westry or in Warrior or Washington, who are all, you know, two one and one in terms of their years in the in the league and they and they uh you know aren't gonna be cheap for a long time and they could each be good. Yeah. Stone. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, so I think we're done with inside linebacker. Nothing to say about Chris Bord, right? All right, let's move on. Uh, you want to talk safety or corner first?
2: Let's talk safety. I think, you know, corners corner's the more interesting one. Um, you know, I thought Brandon Stevens played well again. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. just one of those situations where, again, the Ravens have just got to be, in the same way that they have to be really happy with what Broderick Washington kind of brings to the table, Brandon Stevens lets them kind of have that wild card – Type player that can play really any of nearly any of the positions in the secondary um, to be able to fill in if somebody ends up going down or situationally they really need somebody and like like something unique starts to happen in a game where they want to use some kind of X factor he just seems like he has the right feel for the game and the ability to do that. And so, you know, he's the guy, if, if you're, if you put him in the safety group um, that I, I've been really pleased with how he's performed and I think has really kind of earned what is maybe not going to be a role from the, from week one, but I think somewhere probably around week five to week eight, he's got a role is going to start to become carved out for him for whatever reason. And I don't think he's going to let it go.
5: Pretty good chance that happens due to injury. Of course, Excuse me, I think he's the first guy up at slot corner. We'll see. I think he'd be the first guy up on either back-end spot. We'll see. So that gives a lot of opportunity, obviously, for him to him to be there. I think he'll be active every week. I think they'll use him on special teams. And you're right, what we saw in terms of versatility is just ridiculous. Guys played slot corner, played outside corner for either, one, I think, one series in this game. And he played on the back-end. And I, I couldn't really tell you if he's, you know, been – he Probably has played less strong safety than he's played free safety, but he's played both. So he, I, other than Dimeback, I really can't think of a position he hasn't played. And the, not playing Dimeback is really more a function of Levine is there to do it than he's not able to pick it up.
2: Yeah, exactly. It it's it's nice to have these kind of versatile players mm-hmm. filling in and you know, especially, you know, with Jimmy Smith still banged up and and all of that, you know, it, it's it's just a a nice really nice depth piece for the Ravens.
5: Does he become, like, a lot, of, a lot of guys are that guy who can fill in at a position when somebody's, like, maybe a little hurt. And, and he'd be great for that. I'm, I'm not saying that. Is he even more of an X factor that your slot corner is not getting it done in the first half against somebody, and this is a potential change that you can throw at him? Like, like you, you can't cover some tight end for whatever reason. Okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to throw Brandon Stevens on that tight in the second half, tight end of the second half, of the whole game. Over the rest of the game
2: it's going to be fascinating and not just from the Stevens perspective and the way you talk about it I think for sure right like you know kind of like the yeah. moment and remember the Titans where they let the running back play corner because you know the yeah. corner can't cover right I think yeah. that he certainly could we could have moments like that and Wink is just going to have so many options at his disposal especially from this like secondary perspective um, and we'll talk about it when we get to some of these corner guys too I mean, you know, I think our Darius Washington and Nigel Warrior could be considered either a safety or a corner with yeah. the way that the Ravens have used them. And the the deception that that's going to allow Wink to utilize and and then just kind of the chess pieces that he can rotate in and out situationally is going to be fascinating.
5: You know, that's a great point. If you go back to Rex Ryan in 2006, he had some uh, large number of outside corner Rush snaps that year, which is very, very rare. I mean, you look at it, you can count them on one hand for like Jimmy Smith's career. Uh, you know, in terms of or maybe two hands in terms of the total times he's rushed the quarterback on a play. But in in that in 2006, they had like something like five on one side and six on the other. And Samari Roll actually sacked Michael Vick in a game. It's it's that kind of flexibility was made possible by the fact that DeWan Landry. Was in his rookie year and was a guy they really trusted immediately to drop down into into coverage on that player on the outside and take him. It wouldn't shock me if they if they thought we could do that with Brandon Stevens. This gives us an extra pass rush option. If they if they line up shallow, you know, if if, if they line up with their wide receiver closer to the line of scrimmage on one side, closer to the uh, the tackle on one side. That gives us an opportunity for a quick pass rush off that side. And we're going to take it if we see that look and have Brandon Stevens cover that outside guy.
2: Yeah. And the the wildest part about this is that we're also talking about guys pretty far down the depth chart, right? This is is actually putting aside any conversation about Deshaun Elliott, who I think if you're trying to pick a Ravens player that has – the highest potential upside to grow from what we saw from last year into some exceptional level of football player. He's probably on that list. He has the most, mm-hmm. I think, room to kind of like grow up there. The Ravens haven't really like, you know, they haven't really had a free safety, um, you know, be able to kind of fill within that role last year. So he has the opportunity there. He's also great at the line of scrimmage. He's got a really great nose for the football Great, great in terms of kind of forcing fumbles and just being around the ball. So you've got all of that, and and yet we're still talking about Brandon Stevens in this way. And so this is not yeah. to take away for Brandon C- Stevens. It's just that you you it really there is a a little bit of an embarrassment of riches in the secondary right now for the Ravens, yeah. and they seem to have really gotten a knockdown for for picking up some of these guys the right way. Do, do they have one more trade they could make? Uh, they it almost seems like they might have to. You know, it, right. I, I think it is. It's a little tight, and um, you know. I think – and I know we're talking about safety right now, but when we get to it, I think that there's a cor- I-, I think that the the Good. rankings of, of where some of these guys landed from a corner perspective changed in this last game. I think that I- – I was not that impressed with Westry in the game. Mm-hmm. He seems to um, – he doesn't get his head turned around. He doesn't know the ball is coming. He doesn't know where the ball is, and he doesn't really seem – he's a developmental guy. Uh, and if he ends up on the IR, I would not be surprised – when kind of we break for the 53 man because his... Oh, we talked about Dalen Hayes' awareness, right? And he just... Like, he was... His head was always turning. He was looking for a guy. He was looking for a spot to get to and a, the right thing to do. Chris Westry strikes me as kind of the opposite of that, where he he wasn't getting his head turned around, didn't know where the ball was, got beat on... He tried to press at one point. And when you're 6'4", you really... You should be winning most of your press reps. And he got beat pretty badly on um, right. one of his press reps. Um, I think... I don't think the Ravens want to cut him because physically he is really unique. Um, But I think that he is not ready to contribute in 2021 at an NFL level.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's a a fair criticism. And obviously they had him in there playing the whole game. Uh, Wade might have been even a little bit further removed from being able to contribute. But I think Wade was doing a little bit better job in the games this preseason probably in camp as well, about using his length when he's close to the body. I think the biggest thing Westray brings to the field right now is an enormous shadow of an uh, interception circle that the quarterback can see. You know, that, that his his interception radius is very large. Uh, quarterbacks are scared of hell as going up on him on the sideline. I think he does do a pretty good job of forcing a, a opponent to the boundary and staying closer with him. But I, I would agree that he, he has not shown the ability to find the football. He did tip up one that became an interception that first game, didn't he? I yeah, think he had a he tip did. on the wrist. That's, that's right. That's uh, correct.
2: And, and it might have just been this game. I just thought that he, he, he didn't play particularly great. But I also think that if, if you look at what our Darius Washington and Nigel Warrior brought to this game, they were both phenomenal. I mean, Nigel Warner Warrior, Warrior played outside corner in this game, mm-hmm. which is something that I did not think that the Ravens were going to, I mean, he played it for like almost two full quarters. Um, and, and it wasn't, wasn't something that I would have expected him to be able to do. And something that I thought he did pretty well.
5: Let me make sure, because I thought he played outside corner in each of these games, but we'll, we'll check okay. on this for a okay. second. Yeah. So let's see. Yeah. He was in an outside corner for, yeah, about half of the actually more than that came in on the third drive against Carolina at outside corner. I'm not 100% sure where he played in the first game, but but uh, yeah, he's he's the, we, when I get to first camp on the first day, they were playing him outside corner, and I said, This has got to be a mistake, they, they've got to be just short on corners. And they brought in the safety to play corner, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me, and he wasn't playing badly or anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's playing it in the preseason games too, and and uh, it's obvious that they've really moved him, but there were there might've been things about safety. And I think warrior kind of had this knock on him that he was having a tough time picking up the playbook. And obviously it's a lot easier to be a corner in the NFL than it is to be a safety in terms of what all your different responsibilities are, particularly an outside corner. Slot corner is a very complicated position to play.
2: Yeah, for sure. And and the Ravens are, as we've talked about, carry some depth at safety. Geno stone, I thought played another solid game. He's You know, one of those also one of seems to be one of those cerebral players that that understands kind of what is happening on the field around him and where and what his responsibility is and where he needs to go. And I think in that sense, his his spot is is nearly locked in as well. Um, So but any of these guys are are potential candidates in in an NFL world where cornerbacks are there aren't there's so many wide receiver based offenses now that are running three wide receivers out there that you just need good corners and so in in that sense you know obviously the Ravens were not trying to hide Nigel Warrior and and what he was able to do they were evaluating him and wanted to give him snaps and wanted to see how he was going to do with that Um, it would really surprise me if they exposed him to waivers at this point after doing that I think they would you were you were almost better off if you wanted to if you thought he was the last guy out right if he was the 54th -hmm. guy to play him a significantly less in this last game
5: Okay. That, I mean, that's certainly a possibility. Uh, he's, he's one of the guys, I think he's actually the guy who's on the outside looking in of the big four. At, at, and maybe we talk about this really briefly, but Stone is a guy who some people don't think is locked in, but you and I, I think are pretty much of one mind. Um, I want to talk about Stone really briefly before I go through the rest of this list. And that is that Stone is really good at getting bracket coverage on the back end in this game. And, and we saw it over and over again, where he was in within a couple of yards. And what that is born of is his trust in his own reads. So he's he's very instinctive safety on the back end, and even when he's playing single high, he's going to be more likely to develop that bracket than somebody who has to wait to see what the quarterback does, uh, you know, before he takes any action. And you know, Earl Thomas had had good single high characteristics like that, and then Reed had great single characteristics. Single high characteristics like that. But you know, it just it takes a certain amount of gambling to play free safety in the NFL and Stone's got to occasionally play speed. I thought he did very well and and you know that's why he keeps showing up in these in these brackets uh, where there's decent underneath coverage and then he's in the background working five yards behind you think, oh you know he didn't get there, but he did get there. That means, you know, if the ball gets tipped, if there's an overthrow, he's in position to deal with that.
2: And we we, we saw that once in this preseason already where he was where he was there yeah. on the tip. Um, for an yeah. interception. And then when I, what I saw from him on tape in Iowa, watching it two years ago when he was coming out for the draft, was a lot of that, where he was just always in the right area, around the throws. He had, you know, I was watching tape because I was watching for Ipanisa, and mm-hmm. Stone just kept popping up at these random moments where there were bad throws that sailed or tipped, and he was getting interceptions and taking them back for great returns. And so, yeah. um, you know, he's a guy I'm, I, I hope makes the roster, um, and I, I think he will. Um I think the Ravens need, they don't have that kind of true free safety. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what his trajectory looks like for this team in the long term If, if he does stay and, and kind of where that heads.
5: Okay. So if we, we, we were going to talk about the big four, we, we, we both have stone on the roster, but then there's the three W's at cornerback mm-hmm. uh, warrior Washington and Westry. If there's only two of them make it. And I think I'm at a position where all four of them don't make it, but I think three can, of those four. So I think two of those three can make it. Who do you leave off the roster?
2: So if I had to pick today, I think it would be, I think it would be Westry. I am less enamored by his physicality um, as, as kind of the ability to make up for, you know, what he's done on the field. And so that would be why, why I would make that choice. I think, I think Westry could very well end up on the fifty-three, like on the IR for the year though. And then the Ravens oh, okay. maintain the ability to just keep him and keep keep rights to him and keep continue to help him develop. But, you know, if you've got all these guys that can play inside, if you've got Washington, um, you know, and Stevens and Young, you're you're pretty solid at slot corner. And then you've got Smith and Averett and Humphrey and Peters, you're okay on the outside then too. If all that goes down, you know, Westry is that la- the last cornerback on on you know the list is from a need perspective pretty low.
5: Yes, uh, I would no. I would agree. In, in terms of what he gives the Ravens this year, it's not as high. Westry is a second year player, so I don't think IRing for the year is something the Ravens would do. They would do that for a first year player because you maintain three years of you know option value on him. But with, if only two years remain, you know, paying him to be on IR in year two. I think you do that if the guy's hurt, but I don't think you do it if, if, if you want to stash the guy. So, you know, a player like Ely, I think that kind of makes sense. I think it could make sense for a player like Warrior because he's in his first year. So he's the guy of those three. Maybe, you know, it could make sense for Ardarius too, but I think he's just proven some versatility that is awfully freaking useful. And one other thing I'll say on this matter is, I want the Ravens to barbell their choices so they don't make every choice a tape choice or every choice a physical gifts choice. But I want to have some of both. And Westry certainly is the extreme of the physical gifts category. I think he's got the highest upside of the three by far, uh, you know, relative to Warrior in Washington. I just don't think there's any doubt he's got the highest upside. Doesn't doesn't mean his percent chance to get there is all that high. But I, I think the Ravens probably like him more based on point of entry It's not a lot to go on, but he's the first guy in. That that tells me something.
2: Yeah, and I think whoever, if if there's not room for all four of those guys in the initial wave, I think that whoever is left behind is likely going to be traded. Uh, I I think it's Mm -hmm. just given the need of corner around the league, the tape, that's out there for all these guys and they've all played enough now that they could get value back for them you know maybe the ravens move from they just keep keep moving that seventh round pick that they got <laughs> from the patriots yeah. move it up another round or two um you know if, if they need to
5: well it is and I, I certainly hope they they would get something like that would you go as far to stay young at corner as trading Anthony Averett would be the next question because he's the guy who might have the most value you might be able to get a Either either in season or well, probably in season maybe it doesn't matter as much, but but now, you know, you might be able to get a four for Anthony Averett at the really extreme. If some team goes into the season with a significant hole at cornerback and you know, they see Anthony Averett as a potential solution. I think you could you could do pretty well in terms of what you get. And then if you were fairly ambivalent to your other options below that, then that allows you to keep all of these guys.
2: Yeah, I I the gap between I mean, I, I agree completely. I think there's value, potential trade value in Anthony Averett. but the gap from Westry to Averett in terms of what he's going to give you on the field if you need that player that's to huge. be playing yeah. is so significant. It's not uh, to me. That's not even worth. It's definitely not worth a fourth round pick. I'll start to think about it for a third, second. You, if they get a second. Floor, <laughs>
0: You know, just just,
2: just to put it on a spectrum of kind of where 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 then, okay, there is a value point where I say, okay, that gap is not worth kind of holding on to. To me, a fourth round pick is certainly not going to be worth that gap in this year when I view this as a Super Bowl contending team. And I think the Ravens do as well. And, And so I think as a result of that, that you keep him. That being said, maybe there's some team that does have an injury right before the trade deadline and they are willing to do something really stupid. And, and maybe it's not a straight up second, but it's a second for a fourth and Averitt or something like yeah, that, where it like makes that. a lot of sense for the then I'm definitely consider that. Um, you know, at that point of the year, you also then know what your your health of your cornerbacks look like too. Is Jimmy yeah. Smith come back? Is he playing well? Do we see development from Warrior, Washington, Street, You know,
5: along the way as well. Yeah, and and they'll know that in practice. We won't know, of course, as fans because we won't have seen them in a game. At least we hope not. <laughs> so, knock, uh, knock, on, knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my friend. Uh, let's see. Anything? Do you want to talk defensive MVPs from this game? Or I got them in my article. If you don't really care, that's fine.
2: I. You know, there. It's so vanilla, and it's so. It was so. Uh, Washington just seemed like they. would didn't particularly care about this game on offense anyway. So it's so hard to kind of say, oh, this player did so exceptionally
5: yeah. well. <laughs> uh, that's, that's fair enough. So uh, uh, we won't do that then. There's one other guy I want to talk about because he kind of almost is a, is a wrench in the Ravens' plans in a little way. Wrench, an asset, a probability, I'm not sure what. But Tavon Young, he's either the Ravens have to know whether he's going to be healthy enough to start the season pretty much by Tuesday. Because if they do that, they can make handshake deals to get him through to IR, and then that, that every veteran that they can, or every player, I'll say, that they can do that with, you know, they now have the options available to, to make that happen. In terms of a veteran, you can cut on a wink-wink deal and bring back. And the more people that they could do that with, essentially, the more flexibility they have. So, to me, to my way of thinking, I mean, we, haven't, we don't know what Tavon, where Tavon is right now, because we've probably seen him on the field. Um even, even in practice, he really hasn't played that much. So I'm, I'm you know, I, I really question, you know, where do the what do the Ravens need to know by Tuesday about Tavon Young in order to say, hey, you're going to start the season on IR. We might need you at some point this year, but we also want to keep our Darius Washington. And, and you, know, I, you know, you commit to not having him against the Chiefs, I guess, is the biggest deal.
2: Yeah, I, you know, it, it's it's the big question mark. I wonder if the Ravens are. I, I mean, it, it's one of those ones where the the shelf life or the the half life or you know whatever you want to call it of the player is X number of snaps, right? Like there there's so many heartbeats in this body <laughs> in terms of what he's going to be able to give you on an NFL field. We're we're not going to take any chances, even in practice or in games, because we know what it, we we know where his brain is. We know his ability to read what he does at the slot corner when you know, intellectually from an IQ approach is, is phenomenal, I think, which is what made him so good. So we know that he has those things. So maybe we, we're just not going to play him except when he needs to be in snaps in meaningful games out of the slot cornerback position.
5: It's too bad when you had to do that with your twenty-six year old corner. I don't know. I don't know if that's right. I as opposed to your thirty-three year old situational pass rusher.
2: Right. Well, and, and McPhee's getting the same treatment. So and and so and justifiably you asked the same question about Premier McFee. So I think it's mm-hmm. just as just as reasonable to ask that question here about Tavon Young. But I think in the broader scope of things, I, I think the Ravens are just keeping him on a pitch count, so to speak. Yeah. And and that's why it's you know, the reason he didn't take any snaps in the Panthers game was allegedly the field. Um, and there were concerns over kind of, huh. um, I heard that somewhere. I heard that from Gabe. So uh, if that's not true, everybody needs to throw that back at Gabe. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Fair enough. All right. Thanks so much for joining. we have anything else in the mailbox, Josh? Uh, yeah. Mailbag,
4: Josh. Uh, this is a little bit of looking, I guess this is the last defensive show before really kicking off the season. So a couple more generic questions. First up is what, player changed your opinion the most of him throughout the preseason
5: uh, it's easy for me it's jalen ferguson
2: yeah i think dalen hayes i think might be the guy for me even though i didn't have huge expectations for him coming to into the year i've just been really impressed
4: all right and then uh you've been addressing this a little bit with the flood of 2021 concern podcasts that have been coming out every day ken But with the dominance that this team shows in the preseason, what are some of your biggest defensive worries going into the season?
5: Okay, defensive worry going into the season, age on the defensive line and and will it hold up is is one because they are they get a little thin after the monsters there. Uh, I guess the other concern is the same concern we've had for the last couple of years, which is. Uh, can the inside linebackers cover at all, and and does that does that become such a target area in the middle of the field, given how well the Ravens are otherwise structured on the back end?
2: Yeah, inside linebacker is my big concern as well—not uh, just coverage, but also potentially depth. The the loss of LJ Fort um, in that sense, the the security blanket that he provided was significant.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, well, that takes care of the mailbag. Everything else was covered really well as you went through player by player. Uh, remember to get in your questions for the offensive uh, using the hashtag Film Study mailbag. And I'll just let you know right now, we'll discuss the injury and Dobbins and what to do. So you don't need to submit that into the mailbag. Uh, but anything else that you want to get in there, we'll be sure to hit on tomorrow's show. Ken, who's coming up as the guest for the offensive breakdown on Monday evening.
5: I, I should know this, and I am not looking at it right now to... No. Oh, it's Kevin Kevin Ostreicher from uh,
4: Lockdown Ravens. That's who it is. All right, great. He's a great guest, so that'll be a good show as well. Um, tomorrow is when we're going to learn more about the Ravens. Do either of you want to touch the Dobbins situation today before the Ravens speak well, up tomorrow? Let's hear your thoughts, Jordan, on, on how would you repair that situation right
2: now? I'd be rolling with, with Tyson and McCrary if you need to call him up from the practice squad. Um, you know, if Justice Hill isn't healthy enough to be active, then that's that's kind of the bigger concern, that there's not quite enough depth. But I've seen enough from Tyson. Um, and Gus Edwards has looked really good this preseason. Yes, You know, for as, as much as I, I love J.K. Dobbins, and I wish him the best in his recovery, et cetera. Gus Edwards has looked really good um, behind good offensive line play and bad offensive line play yeah. so far this preseason.
5: Well, Tyson Williams looked terrific in the second game, not just as a runner where he was outstanding, but as a blocker and really looked good in, in, uh, in that respect. So I'm looking forward to that. I think, I don't think it's necessarily McCrary. I McCrary, and I don't think it's Hill, but I think it's the best available guy of which McCrary is one possibility from all the cuts in the league uh, who is the next third guy for the Ravens. And DeCosta has proven remarkable at getting good guys from the scrap heap like that, Collins being a great example edwards too right edwards was our own scrappy right okay. so we, we caught him and then brought him back and uh, and there's um what else did i want to say about that there's a huge contingent of people who want to see a veteran back brought in there's this long list of guys that are out there and adrian peterson and you know things like that, that are coming to the line. And if they go with a veteran back and are that short-sighted it would really just suck. I mean, I want a guy, he's your third running back. This should be an upside guy who can stylistically fit what they need him to do. Uh,
2: The only, my only condition to that would be bringing in a guy that was very good in the pass game in terms of catching the ball out of the backfield. If they had kind of already carved out a role for Dobbins to do something like that and that package is built, then bringing uh, bringing in somebody to take that role on specifically, I'd be okay with.
5: I, I could not convince myself, looking at his record, his age, you know, what he's done in the last couple of years, that Le'Veon Bell was that guy. So even if we got him for the minimum, which I think is probably impossible, uh, I, I don't think I'd want him over a cut from the rest of the league. Yeah.
4: All right. Well, we'll see. I'm sure uh, the Ravens will speak out more about it tomorrow, and we'll learn some in their press conferences as well. All right. And the articles are up on Film Study Baltimore as well so make sure you're checking that out guys we'll talk again next time